0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Calling All Useful Idiots. So excited to be here. Um, This is a great show where we uh, take your calls and your questions. And, of course, we always follow Monday morning streams with this. And you can find those at YouTube.com slash Useful Idiots. And, of course, please subscribe to Useful Idiots at UsefulIdiots.substack.com. So we got uh, Aaron is here. And we already got a caller, so let's start the call in. Make sure you tweet this out, by the way. Uh, or Facebook it out, because we want to get as many people in here as possible. Oops, sorry. Okay. Um, let me just make Aaron... Okay, no war, Chris. Uh, Good. Go ahead. Good. Good morning. Good
1: morning. I uh, hope you guys are doing well. Um, you too. Aaron, I've been... I was watching... I was going back and watching uh, Glenn Greenwald on Jimmy Dore because Glenn isn't always the most comedic based guy, but for some reason, whenever he's on with Jimmy, he he cracks a hysterical joke. So I've been watching them. At, in watching them, I saw them from a few years ago talking about you, and Jimmy was saying he had told you when you're at the Nation, you know that you that. He was like, how can you stay at the nation when there are these Russiagating, lying fucking assholes, you should go sell cars? I don't know if he actually told you that. Uh, but I guess the question that I have for you based off hearing, and Glenn had great things to say about you at the time, said you're a great journalist and that you stuck with your spine and, and didn't allow Russiagate to, to uh, come into your worldview. Um, obviously, that's been a theme for you for a very long time um, in this show, uh, you as well, Katie. Um, you know, my question, I guess, is how, what is your motivations to not run with the culture? You know, he also in the same clip talked about Chris Hayes' Twilight of the Elites book, which I think is a really funny example of somebody who got the, you know, being in these entities like The Nation or MSNBC or any of these liberal outlets that there is a tendency for almost everybody to end up buying into it out of self-preservation to stay there, and how did you navigate that when you were at the nation um, and not fall to that? Uh,
2: it, it wasn't hard because I I just knew with all my heart that RussiaGate was a scam and that it was dangerous, and I I mean. From a journalistic point of view, the facts weren't there to support it. All the facts available undermined it. Um, from a, a political point of view, I really hated the fact, I mean, for, I really didn't like that it was being used to prevent a Bernie Sanders takeover of the Democratic Party. That's what I thought was a really big political use of it was to basically, instead of drawing the lessons at 2016, where like if Bernie had ran against Trump, Bernie would have won. And on top of that, you had the fact that the anti-Bernie wing of the party was totally exposed as conspiring against him, And not only were they exposed as conspiring against them, they were exposed as being losers because they lost. And so it was a perfect moment for Bernie to take over. And here were the Clinton-Obama um, leftovers, you know, uh, holdovers, you know, using Russiagate to kind of preserve their power uh, and uh, also to criminalized diplomacy with Russia. So there were a million reasons to oppose it and politically and a million reasons to question it journalistically. So it wasn't difficult. And um, I I decided, I mean, the, I've talked about this before that like, I knew when I took a stand at that time, it was something kind of like to take a strong stand. It was uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, It was unfashionable. Like you were supposed to go along with it. Every liberal in media was going along with it a lot of progressives were too. And you, know, you, you faced all kinds of names for going against it, but I just figured, you know, whatever the queer, like whatever the career consequences here, I'm willing to face them because I just, I care about this a lot and I know this is bullshit. And, um, I, I'm pretty confident I'll, I'll be vindicated one day and, uh, yeah. And, and also, <laughs> look, but, but, but also just, I also think there was a certain amount of privilege involved in that decision because I knew that if, if things failed, like if I closed off all career paths for myself in journalism, that like I still have a family who has my back and I could, you know, I could go do something else. And so there are people probably out there who might not be able to make the same kind of decision because they may have had a family to support or something like that. So it was a combination of being in a position where I could take a kind of stance like that. And I'm obviously very glad I did.
1: Fair, fair. Katie, I guess the whole question was premised on watching jimmy and and glenn talk about aaron and his uh, his uh actions on this you've had similar you know resistance to the Russiagate thing you know this show used to be hosted at, at uh rolling stone it obviously is not anymore i've always suspected that some of you and matt's uh resistance to Russiagate was was part of the reason that, that Matt's not at Rolling Stone and the show's not at Rolling Stone anymore. Do you have anything that you want to add to what Aaron said on this subject? And then I'll let... Uh...
0: Um, well, do I, do I have anything to add? Um, no, I think what Aaron said is important, though. It is true that it sometimes it... I mean, it, in some, it's hard to be principled when... It's probably harder to be principled when you're supporting a family.
1: So Uh, we're fair enough. That's true. I'm sure that's true.
0: Yeah. But um, it also, but there are also people who had the financial wherewithal to be principled and weren't at the same time. So it doesn't explain all of it.
3: Absolutely. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Have a good day. Take care. Amanda. Good morning, Katie. Erin, it's nice to see you. Always nice to listen to you on a Monday morning. I actually look forward to Monday mornings for a change. Yay. And That's I just wanted right to... Transforming the world. That's yeah. right. Thank you. Thank you so much. A cup of coffee to you for yeah. all of that. If you coffee. Oh, are you uh. good? <laughs> Glad to hear that you coffee. I trust you more now. Yeah. <laughs> um, the all I wanted to say is I wanted to say thank you for being up on Rumble because I like wa- watching on Rumble oh, well. there were like almost 1700 people there this morning and the likes were real low I always go and hit the thumbs up on the Rumble so I just want to say thank you for being on that platform I really I prefer that platform to YouTube and I hope that people remember to like there also because I think it Probably helps you there too. Yeah, what, I have a uh, question. What what makes you prefer Rumble to YouTube? Um, uh, you, I, I feel like YouTube isn't as um, invasive on my watching, and I just, I, YouTube always wants me to sign in. Mm. A lot of times, I'm on my phone and I'm just listening to it. So when my phone goes you know, off, then the YouTube goes off. I can't switch it to anything else during YouTube when you play a YouTube. You can only play the YouTube video and if you you know. So that part of that part of it's that. But part of it's like I don't want to be on YouTube anymore. (laughs) Right. You know, I'd like to be somewhere else. I also really appreciate the notifications from Rumble because they're actually consistent.
4: Hmm.
3: Unlike YouTube's notifications, which I'm signed up for your notifications on YouTube, but I never get anything. All right. Are you a Locals member? I am not yet. I Uh, haven't been on Locals yet. What do you think of Locals? I haven't really even heard you guys promote it. I was wondering if you as as a a Rumble fan. Yeah. Nope. Not yet.
0: All right. Good
3: to know. Thank you so much for your show. That's all. I just wanted to promote the Rumble. I really appreciate it. And And we are on indeed. All right. Sunny.
5: Hi, Sonny. Hi. I, I just wanted to say
6: I'm sorry, Katie. I know I went after you a few times. Oh, that's okay. And I did it only because, you know, we got to stick together and we got to stop being, you know, and, and stay stay with this, um, with the left and, and not go to back to the shit libs. And right. I know it's only but you're doing a great job and I just want to say thank you and I apologize for thanks, thanks out. For all right. right thank you
0: hi right. bye look at that resolving beef uh, right. hi, good morning,
7: go- you guys uh, I totally agree with every what everybody has said I don't know what I would do without you guys obviously I mean my at every call in so you know I'm trying to find truth somewhere And as far as Aaron talking about that, I just think ultimately there's something in some people who can't be a part of a total lie. And Russiagate has been a joke. I mean, it's just been disgusting. (laughs) uh, Like the guy who said he moved to Russia because he couldn't handle it. I just totally get that. But while you guys were having the show, I flipped over to my phone. And it said that Germany has basically offered up Poland um, and said that they are free to use their tanks. That Poland can use their leopard tanks that Germany gave them in all of this. So... Um, typical, I know, I just think the bigger nations happy to give up the lesser nation in all of this, but I thought that was really cowardly and it's, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, they get in the game or don't get in the game, but you know, Poland is in a horrible position and we just don't give a damn. So, um, but oh, also another thing really quickly aside from that, um, it's the ADHD. I just talk really fast. Things just come in my head and that's how it goes. Um, What is happening in Atlanta, thank you, what is happening in Atlanta is really scary. $90 million basically facility in the middle of a, you know, forest that's, you know, really beautiful, sustains life. um, To militarize the police is a really scary thing. And being the daughter of a World War II um, lieutenant colonel in the Marines... I have a real problem with people giving a hard time to anti-fascists. Now, their methods may not be good, but, you know, to militarize the police should be scaring the shit out of everybody. And I don't know why there's not a bigger discussion about this, especially from the left. However, we are bombarded right now, I feel like, with just so much going on. But this is really scary. And they've been painted today all over the news as, like, the terrorists. Apparently it doesn't help, but they they set a police car on fire. And they didn't hurt anybody physically. Um, And this is the problem with them that is sometimes they can cost the line. But either way, it doesn't matter. This is still a major problem. A $90 million facility in the middle of Atlanta, a predominantly, I guess, white state. But I mean, they have such racial tension there that it just it's just a really bad look. And um, I just think really concerning. And third thing, apparently, I guess you guys don't know this, but I feel like I can talk about it because I do call in all the time. And I don't know the how it all works, but I am a Michling, and I, I guess there's like a Michling one and a Michling two. Um, as far as um, you know, sometimes I comment a lot on Israel, and I think I do this because the effects of that war were so. They, they're still it, it still affects people. I didn't know my grandmother was Jewish until I was 18 years old. It Wait, was what?
0: Michling.
7: A Michling is if you go to find out like who. In World War II, were the Germans worried about? And apparently, you know, obviously, if you were fully Jewish, um, we all know what happened there, but there were also, they had like these categories. And if you had a relative, um, apparently, even from, in my case, a grandmother who was Jewish, you just were sent off to the camps also. And, but I did, we didn't know this until I was 18. What's so weird about that? On my mother's side of the family, my father, so technically my father was Jewish. Uh, my mother's side of the family, my grandmother was from Australia. Everything about every time we went to visit them was all about Australia. We even went to Australia. We knew the you know national anthem. We knew nothing about my grandmother being a Polish Jew until I was 18 years old because people were terrified. You just didn't talk about it. And I was livid. I was like, wait a minute, what? It's such. It was such a weird it, – it's just these wars do horrible things to people – and the effects just never seem to end. Um, so I don't want anybody to think I'm just like some weirdo who's like criticizing Israel. I just don't want to see these things happen again, you know, because the effects are so far reaching. And the weirder part was we were living in Darien, Connecticut when I found out. And Darien, Connecticut, if you know it, if you live in that area, is like, um, well, I guess the movie The Gentleman's Agreement was based upon it, where they just didn't, they don't do business. They didn't like Jewish people. And so we're sitting there, my brothers and I, And we're like, what in the world? And a cousin told us. My father didn't even tell us. He never confirmed or denied it. Really weird stuff that goes on. So this is why I'm really political. This is why I try to stay involved. Um, And you just look for different things that are, like, really scary as far as a rise of a right sentiment. And I think militarizing the police is a really big, scary thing. So Um, anyway, just wanted to rush all that out. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah.
7: And say thank you again for all of you that all that you do, and uh, make me proud to have any Jewish heritage. Um, and it really comes from a lot of the left that I see in the work that you do, as far as speaking truth to power, and how appreciated it is. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you.
0: All right. Thanks, darling. Yeah. Take care, guys. You too. Bye. All right, Steve. Hi, Steve. Hi, guys.
8: Um, I actually watched the show today. It, um,
0: you Thank make you. it fun,
8: kind of. I, I sat through it. I think I'm uh, inoculated to all the lies now. So okay. it's just, you know what I mean? You can just kind of watch it as like a sporting event or something. Anyway, um, so I went to a protest yesterday in Oakland. There were only 100 of us. Uh, it was called by Code Pink and a bunch of other groups. And something that Aaron said to me a couple of weeks ago uh, about we were talking about the peace movement in the '80s and how many really millions of people we had. And um, he, Aaron, you made the point. Well, um, religious organizations were very much, you know, involved in that. And y- you're right. Um, there weren't any religious organizations at this rally. And I noticed that, and I I'm kind of like, yeah, the Seems like religious organizations are kind of, I don't know what, on the sidelines or what they're doing on this. Uh, so that, I thought that was an interesting point. But um, kind of dovetailing with the previous speaker, so I made a sign, and the sign I made was no panzers for Nazis. And, um, and then I had said Ukraine. 1943 and i drew a tiger tank and then ukraine 2023 and i drew a leopard tank and it's very interesting they've never stopped using using the same nomenclature for their tanks uh in germany uh so there's like this continuous thread it's like the tiger tanks that uh destroyed ukraine in 1943 are like the grandfathers of the leopard tanks that they're they're going to send uh so i just wanted to make that comment and you guys are great keep it up
0: thanks all right okay uh william hi william you can unmute yourself by hitting the mic icon. Mm-hmm. Okay.
9: When you're done speaking, tap right. here to mute. Um.
5: Double tap to activate. How you guys doing?
9: Good, you?
0: Good, you?
5: Yeah, very well. I'm gonna. Uh, I wanna say some about what. Um, I think her name was Feeney and No War. You remember you had them all three. Up. Uh, you had like a yes. three-way call going. Yes. And uh, anyway.
0: Yeah. Can you go off? Yeah, Can you go um, speak? An echo. An echo.
5: Go oh, off speaker.
0: Am I on speaker Turn an echo? Not anymore.
5: I don't okay. know. I don't, I don't know how to do that.
0: No, you're, you're fine.
5: Okay. okay. Anyway, um, 45 years ago, I was a bell ringer for the Salvation Army, and I was in front of this grocery store, and I was taking a break, and I was in the break room of the grocery store, and I met this woman, and she says she was taking sociology so i asked her i said well what kind of things do you learn in sociology class and she said well this week we're learning how to keep a people down that is to say how to keep people subjugated and so she told me it was basically three things you have to do number one you have to keep them segregated number two you have to keep them undereducated. and number three you have to keep them fighting amongst each other now at the time this is 45 years ago like i said at the time i could see all kinds of examples of that going on in the black community but for fast forward 45 years later to today it's going on everywhere now and i mean it's everywhere and now the segregation is not just based on proximity the the segregation is very well very much based on ideology so we all have these different ideologies and we all like you know so you could have you could have a, a a group, a group of the same type of people living in in the uh, in a neighborhood, and they all segregated from each other because they all all they have different ideologies. But anyway, the point I'm trying to make is that uh, the second thing is, as long as you can keep these people undereducated, the first and third things pretty much can work themselves out. The one thing to, to guard against that is to keep your people educated. And I know like the lady was talking about, you know, the fact that we can't get Medicare for all and we can't get a uh, higher minimum wage and all this other stuff. And then Norwood was saying there's just a lot of people would, people are just too complacent, you know, and all that is true. So my proposal is to say, what we need to be fighting for, apart from our other stuff, what we need to really be putting all our eggs, the basket we need to put our eggs in, is educating our children. We have to get our children educated. Because we're growing, we, we're we gonna have a new generation of people who don't know anything but STEM. You know, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. All right? And um, who is that? Um, Robin Williams starred in this movie called the Dead Poet Society mm-hmm. and he played a teacher and he told his students, he played a teacher in a, in a prep stu- school and he told his, told his students, he said, science, you know, mathematics, physics, all that stuff is, is, is like noble pursuits and necessary to, to sustain life, but love, beauty, art, music, poetry literature you know theater these are the things that make life worth living and we need to start teaching all that stuff to our children again because if we if we bring up another a group of another generation of people who don't know anything but how to you know do math and and, and write reports and whatnot we're making a bunch of just corporate robots
0: yeah Agreed.
5: And We're- see, and Ralph, Nader, Ralph Nader said that uh, there is like you only need like one percent of the population on the street, you know, to 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 um, to make change. And if we can't get what well, was one percent, like three point three million people, if we can't get three point three million people out on the street to fight for their own children's education, then there's really not much. We need to just just give up and just, just go home. Just forget about it. Because, I mean, what, what else can we find? What else is there out there that, that, that should have as much universal support?
0: I agree. Education is very
5: important.
2: Healthcare too, I, I'd say. Those are the two things. But, yeah.
5: Yeah, yeah healthcare yeah. is important. But how long will these people keep health care if they don't, they're not educated?
2: Right. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. William, thank you for the call. Great to hear from
10: you. All right, Lucius. Hey, Lucius, unmute
0: yourself hey. by hitting the...
10: Got it. Hey. Now there's a pop-up that says unmute. I love it. Um, hey, gang, how you doing? Good, you? I am good. Got to walk a dog in a little bit, but um, I just had a quick question picking both your brains. Um, and I know... Uh, both of you, especially Aaron, do not like to speak for others or infer intent, which I think is a noble pursuit as far as especially if you 're a journalist. but I was just wondering uh, I was looking at the Jackson Hinkle YouTube video, and while I think he 's a bit uh, alt lefty on a lot of cultural issues he 's done amazing coverage on uh Ukraine and Russia, though he you know again, I disagree with some of his takes on that, but the facts that he presents are great. So he's been talking about, um, basically this escalation where it looks very likely that there will be an invasion of Crimea by Ukraine. Um, and if that happens, Russia considers that Russia. So that will be an invasion of Russia proper, not an invasion of these other territories in the Donbas. And, um, it just boggles my mind the framing of this, especially from the liberal supposed left that's of course not left at all. They're center right and then internationally they're far right wing um, on foreign policy. I'm just wondering how did these people on these cable news shows who have kids do this? Because what we're talking about is a nuclear winter. I mean, that's a very likely possibility if Russia considers itself to have been invaded And the people of Crimea voted overwhelmingly to join Russia. So they're kind of not like hostages here to Russia. Um, Just not only how do these people sleep at night, but how do they actually square the circle of I have kids or grandkids and they could die. I could die. We could all, you know, have the skies shrouded and no plant life and everything just winds down and dies. Like it's it seems just absolutely insane to me. So, wondering what you think about maybe what they're thinking? Like, how do they rationalize this? Uh, You know,
2: I don't think they allow themselves to think through the consequences. I think that's the mental process you have to go through to be in that position. Because otherwise, if Mm you fully thought through the consequences of what you're advocating, what you're enabling you wouldn't be able to do it, you know? So you have to block off your conscience. And um, look, it's easy to do that when you have power and you're on TV and you're, you have, you're paid very well. It's a good job. Uh, you're making a lot of money. If you have a family, you're supporting them. So there are all these ways you can rationalize what you're doing to yourself and not think through the mm-hmm. consequences of what you're promoting. Uh, and, I, will, um,
10: uh, I will flip the script on that. Um, quoting, well, not exactly quoting, but Chomsky said in a famous interview, um, this guy said, so you really think that I'm being told by editors all the time what to think? And Chomsky said, no, if you were thinking that stuff, you wouldn't be here. (laughs) It's like they're selected for a lack of curiosity these days in uh, mainstream journalism.
2: Yeah, of course. Of course. Look, I I know this very well when, uh, you know, uh, at, at places where I've, you know, gone like back when I was seeking a more conventional path in, in media, I would go for job interviews and I could tell like they were trying to weed out lefties, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they, they, and, and, and critical thinkers. It's just, it's not when you, it's okay to be uh, adversarial and skeptical on issues where there's some, um, bipartisan disagreement. So for example, you can, t- because there's a dispute over classified documents, you, you can take, like you can push, uh, skepticism there and be sort of an aggressive journalist because that's Mm -hmm. an issue that ultimately doesn't really impact the power centers that control the country. But on the issues like, for example, proxy wars and regime change or Medicare for all, you can't really do your job because that impacts the, the power of the people who ultimately
10: control your media outlet and pay your salaries. Or mass surveillance, which hasn't really been mentioned anywhere since Snowden. It's true. It yeah. just kind of kept going, and everyone was like, oh, well, that was just a kerfuffle." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
11: So yeah. okay, sorry, yeah. I'm,
10: I'm talking too much, but yeah, that's that's helpful. And uh, Katie, how about you? What? Any thoughts? Uh, are these people um, psychopaths? <laughs> are they just um, self-deluded? Like, what's going on?
0: With I this, think this
10: push for World War III, basically.
0: So I think what often happens is it's a, a few powerful psychopaths with a wide, large reach, and then other people who are in good faith and just manipulated.
10: Like all the stands on Twitter with the Ukraine flag in their bio. Right. I don't really... I I blame them to an extent, but not anywhere near the extent of the cable news hosts, who are very well educated and often are well read up on these topics and deliberately omit things like with regard to Syria chemical weapons they never talked about aaron's right. coverage um, of course not so there's a lot of willful ignorance but i think there is also like aaron was talking about this uh, other just baseline ignorance that they just they go along to get along they don't really think too much yeah smartest people on earth and they are not really thinking much so wasted talent <laughs> okay so i will let you go i've taken up enough time but thank you both
0: thanks lucius
10: okay all right please
0: okay joe hey joe how's it going
12: hello can you hear me all right yep oh great okay awesome thanks for calling me up um i kind of so i've been in um a couple of like i guess you can say like liberal facebook groups and i've kind of been trying to see like what can be done about not even necessarily changing people's minds but even something smaller like getting them to consider alternative evidence or to kind of like come at something with some amount of skepticism. And I think that now might be like a good time because of the whole thing around title 42 and also the, the, uh, the document, the doc talk stuff, you know, like talking about earlier, but just like the clear hypocrisy of both ruling parties and, that people really shouldn't feel like they have to defend tribalistically and kind of like close off their critical faculties to the fact that like, you know, there's a lot of overlap and similarity between these two parties and their interests. And the, and I get, it goes kind of also to the point of propaganda and conditioning earlier, but I was just wondering if there was any, if there was any patterns that uh, either you or Aaron have seen in talking with people who have kind of come around and changed their minds of, what they found useful to like, you know, consider alternative perspectives and kind of start to think critically about some, some of these things.
0: Um, I don't, I mean the, the way that I, I think I've said this before, but the way that I feel like you can get people to, to consider it is if you point out the way that, um, uh, the West has sabotaged peace talks, and I think once people are aware of that, then that kind of breaks the paradigm and makes it easier for people to be critical.
10: Yeah,
12: I think so. Uh, for the Russia Ukraine thing, that's something that I always mention. Um, yeah. Like Title 42, I mentioned it and brought it up, and they started kind of like excusing and saying like, oh, well, Biden's not deliberately separating children from their parents anymore. And that was really what we cared about with Title 42 or or just like some kind of like, oh, you telling us about this is really going to save those children, isn't it? Uh, I don't know. Right. It seems really like, you know, kind of, you know, you kind of lose your hope for people coming around on this kind of stuff when that's the kind of stuff that they say.
0: Yeah, it's depressing. You got to try.
12: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah. Anyways, um, just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Uh, should-
0: Thanks. Alrighty. righty. Um, okay. So,
9: uh Ian. Good Monday morning, guys. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. It's already afternoon in Brazil.
0: Great. Wish so would... my
9: question is about the Podesta emails. And maybe since Stelter is in between jobs, maybe you can team up for a real doc talk show. And since the Chester likes to drop these important moments on his opening monologues, So could you guys give us a little background on the hacking of the DNC server, Hillary's emails and the Podesta emails so we can talk about that? You know, Assange is still in jail and people still think he works for the Russians.
0: Right.
2: Well, I've covered this a lot. The claim that Russia hacked the DNC and gave the emails to WikiLeaks, that starts with the Clinton campaign. Uh, They hired a contractor called CrowdStrike. Uh, who immediately decided that they detected Russian actors inside the DNC email system, that they hacked the emails. And that really triggered Russiagate. And um, that led to this, like, you know, mania where for years, like, this was compared to Pearl Harbor. The fact that Russia had attacked our democracy, um, had subverted... Uh, the election installed Trump in the White House. I mean, the the rhetoric was insane. I mean, even if it was true that Russia did it, the rhetoric was would in no way have been justified. It was nuts. I mean, think about what the U.S. does around the world. Um, and if you if all the U.S. did was hack emails to uh, in other countries it wants to interfere with other countries would be like just crying tears of joy that that's all the U.S. does, rather than imposing sanctions that destroy their economy and sending over weapons and even directly military uh, intervention. So anyway, uh, but of course the allegation is evidence-free and all the evidence that has come out, I think undermines it. Um, such as, for example, CrowdStrike, when they came before Congress in December, 2017, uh, they uh, admitted that they actually they, they had no evidence that these alleged Russian hackers actually stole anything from the server. And that testimony was only released in May, 2020, which is more than a year after the Mueller probe shut down. So, Um, And, uh, you know, I've written a lot more about it. I'm not going to go through all here, but the case that Russia stole the emails is evidence free. It comes from CrowdStrike saying it first and CrowdStrike is working for a Clinton contractor. So they're not exactly unbiased. And then CrowdStrike didn't let the FBI conduct its own examination of the DNC servers, which is weird. And even weirder is that the FBI let that slide. They relied on that. They relied on CrowdStrike. And um, that's why all we have so far is the claim of CrowdStrike and of U.S. intelligence officials. We, we have no evidence. And any minimally responsible journalist will be saying, all right, well, you're saying this, but what's the evidence for it? And let's see it. And they haven't given it to us. And so I think, just like everything else in Russiagate, that claim was a scam. Uh, but we won't know until we can see the evidence for ourselves. And so I've tried to get the evidence from CrowdStrike and other places, but we, it hasn't come yet. So we'll see. Um, hopefully... More will come out.
9: But
5: what did Assange
9: actually publish in WikiLeaks about these emails?
2: They were embarrassing. I mean, the Podesta emails were things, you know, it was very, like, like a lot of benign stuff, like recipes, but also some stuff like saying that like, Hillary Clinton was promising Wall Street privately that she wasn't going to uh, you know, regulate them at all, you know, things like that, well, like, and saying that we have to tell the public something differently. It was things like that. And then the DNC emails also showed that the party hated Bernie and were trying to undermine him. Those are the two main revelations. Just more details of Clinton kind of double talk and corruption and the DNC's party against Bernie Sanders. The the DNC's uh, bias against Bernie Sanders. Great. And And blaming all this on Russia, you know, painting all this as a Russian plot, just as the U S does anytime now it wants to distract the public from looking at yeah. the actual facts like they, they did with Hunter Biden's laptop, you know uh, like they did with uh, anything you can blame on Russian bots and Russian hackers. The, the result of blaming this all on Russia changed the subject from the content of the emails right. to the claim that they were stolen by Russia. And that's, so it was meant to give them cooties basically. So we wouldn't look at the contents and would only focus on this belief that Russia was responsible for. And, and and therefore w- we shouldn't focus on what these details actually mean and and actually say. Okay. Ian, thanks, hey, thanks. for calling.
11: <laughs> Jeff. Hey guys, how are you today? Hi there. I'd like to huh? piggyback on the previous conversation about more Russia game. I'm, I wonder why people haven't actually ever used the word um, coup, attempted coup, in describing what Russiagate was, where you had a a political party in the United States use foreign, uh, foreign intel assets and a private intel company to fabricate evidence, brought it to the FBI, and at least one FBI agent understood that it was fabricated. Isn't that the one that was uh, prosecuted but um, found not guilty?
2: Um, no, it's not, no, it to... no, no. Oh. I, just a question. It wasn't. okay. No, uh, that's not what happened. Um, what you're talking about is uh, as one aspect of the Trump-Russia scam, people working for the Clinton or working with the Clinton campaign fabricated uh, this idea that Trump and Russia were secretly communicating via a bank server. Right. And that was brought to the FBI. And the the Clinton lawyer who brought that to the FBI, he was prosecuted oh, okay. for basically um, trying to mislead the FBI. But the problem with that prosecution is not that—I uh, mean, it's not true that uh, the claim was fabricated, which it was. That's true. But the problem was the idea that the FBI was fooled because the FBI was totally in on it. That's the scandal here. So right. that's why that prosecution didn't work. Okay,
11: okay, but it, as for our, with that information then you have a, a political party colluding with the FBI presented evidence to the FISA court in order to get warrants to tap the phone of Trump staff. M- am I accurate? So uh, far? That is true. Yes. Yes. Okay. And then with that warrant, uh, the FBI was able to um, either record or then actually tap the phones of anybody that contacted that Trump staff member or that the Trump staff member contacted them so and then they use this evidence to uh, um, for the for the initial impeachment
2: correct no 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 they didn't use this for the initial impeachment they they use this um as part of a of, of the investigation of the trump campaign for having ties with russia that was the FBI and then the Mueller investigation. And then the Trump's first impeachment... And Now, listen, at the time, there were Democrats saying that they were going to use all this for impeachment. Okay. If, if, if you remember, after the Mueller report came out, it was such a dud because, of course... Yes, they do. The, uh, of, because, of course, the idea of collusion was a conspiracy theory. It was invented by the Democratic Party and their contractors, Christopher Steele. So it was a scam, so that was never going to work out. So then they pivoted to, okay, but did Trump obstruct the investigation into collusion? And... The Mueller probe tried really hard to make that look as if there was something there. But it also had to admit that, well, uh, it does raise the you know, there is a question of whether you can obstruct an investigation into something that's fictional. that like, so basically, since there was no Trump Russia conspiracy, can you really say that Trump obstructed the investigation, which, by the way, he didn't. All they said was. There, here are 10 possible examples of obstruction. We're not, we're not even going to make a call whether that, that actually is obstruction. And Democrats took that and said, all right, we're going to impeach him for obstruction. And they talked about that. If you go back to that summer, they were talking about obstruct, uh, bringing impeachment over in, obstruction. But it didn't fly because basically you were asking the country to get behind impeaching a president for, obstruction, for obstructing an investigation into a conspiracy that didn't actually exist. And it was fictional. So that didn't work. But luckily, then Trump had that call with Zelensky where he pressured him to, or he asked him to help look into Joe Biden and that triggered the first impeachment.
11: Okay, that's right. All right. Well, that was just, a, a, I'm so, just yeah. curious as to why nobody actually you're com- looked, well, you're, viewed you know, this as there, an attempted coup. Yeah,
2: yeah. Because there are, they, Yes, there are people, especially... red uh, uh, There are people, especially supporters of Trump, who have called this a coup. I think Trump's even called this a coup attempt before. And I think, um, you know, I think it was more a. It certainly was a scam, uh, and there are aspects. They, I think, they did want to use this to try to, you know, undermine Trump's presidency and maybe remove him from office. Uh, you know, I don't use the I don't use the term coup because I think, uh, you know, I, to me, a coup is something different. But but I get it. You know, it's um it certainly was a scam designed to undermine a presidency and maybe remove him from office. So I can see why people w- would want to use the word coup. Thank you, Jeff, for the call. You too, Jonathan.
13: Uh, hi, I uh, actually originally called to, to uh, talk about the show, but I feel like something ought to be said in defense of our government officials who cried wolf so many times, nobody believes them. I think they're telling the truth this time about the M1 Abrams, uh, because I, like, I talked to some friends of mine who were in the military, including a Navy guy who was responsible for fishing a boatload of them off the ocean floor when, I, when they sunk, uh, which is a Herculean task this is a tank that could only be designed by an American and not just any American, but the kind that goes four wheeling in the mud and says, "woohoo." Because like, if I remember correctly, like just their armor is like a layer is like a sandwich of steel, composite depleted uranium, which is heavier than lead and then composite and steel. And it takes like a Mack truck engine just to turn the turret. So what they were telling me was, it's something you want on your side in a big fight, but it's extremely large, and it hemorrhages money as soon as you turn it on. So I think they may be genuine this time about saying that's not a practical tank to send to, to Ukraine. And, uh, you know, nobody believes them because nothing else they say is true. So I thought I should mention that. the. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I wanted to just compliment you on, like, this week's show was fabulous. I love John Kiriakou. Uh, and uh, he's been—he's certainly been getting around. Actually, I think he just did an interview with uh, Macro and Cheese, which I do. The, I work on the back end of, and uh, I know he's been uh, showing up to all those uh, stand-up for Assange uh, yeah. things in D.C. And uh, he has been really good on that front. His story was even featured in in Meltzer's book. But, uh, yeah, he's he's an awesome guy, and I'm glad you had him on. And uh, Shai, the Shai Buttar one was, you know what I think of that. That was fabulous. So I I wanted to say thanks for, for doing those those two in particular. And right. uh, that's basically all I got.
2: Thanks, John. Wow. Hot, thank you. feedback Hi. on the Internet. It, it, it's always <laughs> yeah. it's always great to have. So thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate it. Because we get so much, you know people can be so mean. So that's always nice to hear some, some people who, who appreciate what we do. Very nice. So William, go ahead.
4: Hi, Aaron and Katie. Can you guys hear me? Okay.
2: Yeah.
4: Hi. This wasn't covered in your class today, but I, I'm just trying to bring attention forward for people, um, regarding, and this is a third rail for a lot of people. So you tell me it may not be something you guys want to get into, but maybe you can refer me somewhere. Um, the Catholic Church, um, the French report cited 300,000 kids abused um, over since 1950. We have five times the population of France here in the United States. The only attorney general to sue the Catholic Church for failure to protect children and financial improprieties in the United States is Leticia James out of New York. She sent me a thank you letter for assisting in her investigation. That's in your... Uh, 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 what do you call it, the text, I'm a little nervous, in, in the live chat. Um, Connecticut, they've done nothing. Uh, uh, well, uh, Pennsylvania had three grand jury investigations into the church, 2005, 2011, 2018, and we were told to report everybody who'd been uh, sexually assaulted uh, to report to the Department of Justice. 2018, a lot of people did around the country and under the Trump administration. One month after Letisha filed her lawsuit, the Trump administration put that investigation on ICE, the DOJ national investigation, citing statute limitations issues. I've talked to people, I have a little call-in thing I do, um, and I've talked to people from all around the country I don't have a platform or audience like y'all. And um, uh, the statute of limitations in some states is as little as two years. In New York, it's five years. I had a, a young fellow call in Will. I believe he said it was Missouri. I have to double check, but two years where he lived. Um, what happens is the U.S. Catholic Conference of Bishops uh, buys out the legislature. Where we can't get statutory reform to get extended statute limitations. So when a young person is abused, by the time they get older in a lot of states and they're able to talk about it, the police can't do anything. And then you're left to civil litigation, which is very restricted in a lot of states due to, to again, statute limitations. So this is a chronic problem. Uh, the, the, uh, um, and I'm just trying to bring some awareness. I, I don't, I don't know what else to do because um you know I've 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 been arrested three times in this state trying to bring change, uh, once by a Catholic Church counseling group, once by court operations when I wrote a lawsuit where I could sue the church and the private police department had me illegally arrested trying to talk about the crimes of the church at large with the church. And then again by the actually by the Milford Ray Crisis Center. Uh I was arrested uh for allegedly har- harassing nature of my calls. The warrant was for emails, and all I was doing was just saying what I'm saying to you all. And this is all documented. You can see me up online. You look me online and I look like a big bad ogre, like some I'm a big guy, I used to play football, I got the NFL. I look like some kind of monster. And uh it was Leticia James's office that came through with corroborating evidence on the police I reported to her. After these three arrests here, so that they really ate crow here, the state's attorneys. I'm not saying this to do anything. To say this is the path of victims that happens. And uh, Joe Rogan has finally started to cover this. Uh, and you know what? It, his reports on it made a newspaper weird. The Daily Mail in the U.K. It's not. It's not reported on here, you know, in the U.S., uh, 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 Jimmy Dora has touched on it periodically with, uh, and though, by the way, Aaron, I thought you did a great job when Jimmy was out, you know, and I appreciate the way you handled that with Kurt. Thank you. And, uh, his other new, new assistant. Um, it's a different energy when you're there cause you're, you're, you know, it's, you're, you, you're so mellow. You know what I mean? Uh, but you have your way that is uh, obviously a lot of people appreciate and uh, your comprehensive coverage of things. So I'm hoping that uh, by bringing this issue forward uh, and telling my story, uh, that my, my case is emblematic. Um, we, we, there was even a report, Aaron, Dunn here. that what, what happened here in, the, in Connecticut, there's been no grand jury investigation, so they, the Bridgeport Diocese was allowed to pay a law firm to do a report that's kind of like an Epstein report. blames all the dead. Literally. And yet they've paid off for our Monsignor right here in Stratford. They paid off for him abusing a young girl and uh, allegedly another young fella. That's all, that's in the Connecticut Post, but he's still our Monsignor. And so this is, this, this, It hasn't, the money's money, money. They've, they've, in the last 20 years since the movie Spotlight. Well, the Boston Globe broke the story originally in the early 2000s. The church had something called the Dallas Charter, where they supposedly were bringing reform. And Cardinal McCarrick was head of the Dallas Charter. Well, what happened there was they, what they started to do, according to a book that is put out by three priests, uh, sex priests and secret codes, a 2000 year paper trail. They started using money to silence victims with gag orders. I haven't taken that money from Detroit law. Uh, Ford and board of trustees referred me there. I refuse to take the money for this very reason. Cause obviously that's why it's kept silent. You know, the victims take the money, then they can't talk. I, I think that should be illegal. You know, if they want to help victims, fine. But, but, but this is why it's silenced. Do you see what I mean? It's not like the problem's gone away, ladies and gentlemen. I just want to make it, I want to be, I'm a voice for victims, because most, like, police officers know me. They stopped arresting me, finally. Now, three different police departments on this issue, two were connected by the chief being a former state trooper, so state police, Shelton police, Milford police, and they stopped arresting me. The state's attorney stopped prosecuting when Letitia James, is only when Leticia James's office came through. Um... We don't have any other attorney generals doing what they told us they were going to do. The DOJ, uh, rather than the the president, worked to, we should have a uniform statute of limitations on this issue. Uh, here in Connecticut, it's an exception criminally. There is no statute of limitations for the sexual abuse of minors. There's a 30-year statute for the sexual abuse of young adults and a 20-year statute on the sexual abuse of adults. But that. That, that's rare. That would be a statute that would serve people around the country. So I'm, I'm, I appreciate you taking the call. I'm just anyone else out there. What happens there and, and Katie is if they've taken the gag or they can't do what I'm doing. And most people do. And, uh, Cardinal McCarrick, by the way, the Cardinal who was the head of the Dallas Charter, he was filing the frock during the DOJ investigation, the first Cardinal defrocked in 500 years and guess That's where he's out of fordham university where i made where i went to school
2: wow william uh thank you for all this I, you know um uh, i learned a lot from what you've just said and uh it's, it's not an issue i'm very familiar with so thank you where can people go to learn more
4: well i i do call in uh under <laughs> Meathead's Corner. <laughs> so you, you Meathead's meat head. Corner.
2: Okay. Yeah.
4: Here okay. on call. I, I try right. and obviously, this is not a funny subject, but other things I try and bring a little humor to. You know what I mean? Uh, in fact, uh, I look a lot like Kurt Metzler. When Jimmy had his calling, I would. By the way, I think Jimmy stopped doing calling, if I'm not mistaken. I think he did. But, but uh, we were talking to me and, and uh, Jimmy a couple of times about the COVID issue. And he, he took my call the second time. This guy looks like Kurt. <laughs> <Huh>. so.
2: <laughs> so, 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 uh, so, Meathead's corner here on Colin. Anywhere else? Uh,
4: right. No, I, you know, I, I haven't. Pardon me. I haven't branched out into other um, media platforms. Uh, I, I used to do Facebook, but because of COVID issues, I got banned. And. Uh, it's okay, good. so yeah. people
2: can people can check you out here on Colin at Meat Hits Corner and William. Thanks a lot for for yeah. sharing all that. that really you get on Twitter. I while uh, okay, Alex. Alex, <laughs> un-
0: unmute by hitting the mic icon.
2: And Alex, if you're there, there's a mute button on the bottom left to admit yourself and we'll go to John in the meantime and you can come back in the queue if you want. Okay, John, go ahead. All right. Well, our queue is currently empty and we still have a little bit more time. Um, So, okay. Nestor, here we go.
0: Hello. Unmute yourself, by Okay, yeah, there you go. Good morning, guys.
14: Uh, how are you doing? Good morning. Uh, how are you? Good, good. Um, oh, um, before I start, uh, um, since you guys suggested that HBO show, uh, the one with the with the rich people in the vacation places.
0: Oh yeah, um, White Lotus. Yeah, I, I binge watched the
14: the whole uh, the whole series. Uh, I hate you for it because <laughs> so I hate watching it. there's some gringy stuff in there man i mean yeah that's the whole uh, point yeah but so i'm gonna recommend uh the last of us which just came out uh it's uh it's a life uh action adaption of a a video game but it's really really good um it just came out last week so now they're like on episode two uh, so definitely watch that if if you like some good stuff. Um, oh, so, so I wanted to get to, uh, like, um, you know, I, I, when I was younger, I remember something about like unclassified documents being in the hands of Cheney, uh, Bush. It seems like this is like a very traditional common thing in the Oval Office to just, uh, just take documents, uh. I guess they do it for like insurance policy in case they ever get, uh, uh, what's it called, persecuted for the numerous crimes that they do there. Um, so I, I don't know if you guys could attest to that because I, I do remember something about Cheney like in documents. I, I I mean, I was a lot younger back then. I think I was like 18 or something, I, I or sort of a little bit younger than that. Um, And also about the the tanks from uh, hearing, uh, I think what was it, Jonathan on here? You know, like he he talked about how these tanks are so uh, tanky, uh, for lack of a better word. They seem to just have uh, a purpose to just terrorize uh, people that don't have the means to deal with the tank. Uh, And and that's kind of, you know, that's kind of odd because the only people that wouldn't have the means to deal with the tank is the very uh, population of this country and also uh, people around the world that don't have any professional army. So it sounds like they definitely don't wanna send these tanks to Ukraine since it's all planes and uh, it'd be so slow and it would be easily knocked down by a a supersonic missile. So so it's interesting what the military of the U.S. focuses on uh, uh, technology-wise.
4: Um,
2: yeah, I like your point about uh, taking classified documents as kind of like an insurance policy in, in, in case they try to prosecute you for the crimes you committed, which are contained in maybe some of those classified documents. I think that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting. And certainly people, you know, in Washington who know secrets, um, they know where the bodies are buried. That does give them some protection. Like, you know, John Brennan, the director of the CIA, people like that. Like, once you're the CIA director, no matter what you've done, for example, John Brennan, when he was director of the CIA, he spied on the Senate when they were investigating the CIA's torture program. It's a pretty amazing story. The CIA hacked into the Senate's computers to try to mess with their investigation. And, of course, nothing happened to John Brennan because he's just too powerful, you know. Uh, And um, I think we'll see something similar when it comes to these current document investigations with uh, Biden and Trump. Uh, Nestor, thank you for the call. Great to hear from you. Okay, Dave.
5: Hello there. Hi there. Hi there. I saw um, represent.us, you know, Michael Douglas thing, there was a really slick video and it looked like it was going to get money out of American politics. And it looked really good, but I've not heard you or Jimmy or anybody talking about it. Is it bad or is there some issue with it?
2: Sorry, who, uh, who proposed this?
5: It's called represent.us It's something. And they had Michael Douglas, you know, the actor, they had him presenting some really good way of getting, it looked, it looked really good, a uh, way of getting money out of um, politics. And they've got people standing in various elections across America, but I've never heard you guys talk about it. So I thought there must be some issue with it or something.
2: Uh, I, No, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with what you're talking about. So um, look, you know, uh, we can't keep up with everything you know we do no, our best no, you,
5: so. i'm just saying if you can have a look at it see if that if you think because it really looked like it would work thanks thanks for answering right anyway. okay thank
2: you we'll All check right, it bye, out bye. for sure yeah 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 um okay well uh we are almost out of time uh but um we have a few more people in the queue both look like they're return callers which we usually don't do uh, but William, if you want to say uh, a quick word, go ahead
4: well I'm glad you have a little more time Thanks for taking the call again there's a comment in a live chat some someone saying people who take money
3: yeah
4: to be prosecuted. Let me just say um, the police do not bring often unless it's a very current uh, ongoing like you know events. The police will not bring charges. So uh, because of the statute of limitations issues often, you see, and so um, as I described, and so then you're left with a civil matter and then it's like, that's how they settle civil matters. You see, people take the money, but then they can't talk. That, that, that's the, we should be able, if they want to help us, fine. But we still sh- should be able to talk, but that's not the way. The si- it's a systemic problem. We just don't let the caller know. Thank you both. Please Thank don't you. victim blame us. Yeah.
2: Got it. Thank you. Thank
0: Important
4: you. Important point.
0: Um, and- we have Betsy and Bradford we haven't heard from. Oh,
2: so so Lucius has already called in today? Is that correct?
0: Maybe. Lucius, did we hear from you? We did, right?
2: Lucius, are you a uh, return caller? There's no shame. Just let well, us know. You
0: know what? Yeah, there's no shame.
2: It's okay. Anyway, you know what? We won't find out. We'll just go on to Betsy. Go ahead, Betsy.
9: Yeah. Okay. Betsy, cracking up. <laughs> I don't know why. I found that exchange really funny. Um, yeah, I, I, I missed class today. Sorry. <laughs> um, I, I was working and and had to deal with my my dog. Um, you understand about that, Katie. So um, <laughs> she's in. She's at school right now, which is doggy daycare. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, I was just wondering um, if you guys, e- either of you, are planning to go to the um, Rage Against the War Machine rally in D.C. next month. I was curious. Um, and I apologize if you had mentioned this previously.
2: Um, yeah, so this is a, a protest taking place on like, what, January 19th. I think it no, is. No,
9: fe- well, February 19th. Unless Sorry, February 19th. No,
2: no, 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 no. I, I, <laughs> that's what I meant. Sorry, February, February 19th in D.C. Yeah. Yep. to pr- to protest the Ukraine proxy war. Um, I don't know. It's actually I, to protest
9: yeah. like all war- wars in general. All wars. But, okay. Yes.
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what my plans are. I, 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 It's hard for me to plan that ahead, and and I have a personal thing where I just I don't really give out my location, um, in advance just because of some things I've had to deal with. But uh, mm-hmm. I, 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 I think that um, I think that that's a great you know obviously it's great to see things happening like that. And, um, and uh, cause where, cause the anti-war movement has been pretty dormant for a long time. It's hard to get it going in a uh, political climate where even like the most like, you know, f- far left progressives are voting in lockstep with Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell for the Ukraine proxy war. So yeah, that's, ca- that's one of many actions happening February 19th in DC.
9: no, no. no. Are, are you, are you,
2: are you planning, are you planning on going Betsy?
9: I'm, I'm, I am strongly considering it. Um I'm in the Boston area, so yeah. it's a it's a bit far. Um so I'm but I'm tr- I'm trying to figure it out cuz I really want to be there. I just I think it's it's important. The last anti-war march that I did was was like for the Iraq war. Um the I mean the the one under W. Um yeah. you know, and and it was really um it was here in Boston and it was, it was really impactful. Um, mm. so yeah, I, I think there's some really good speakers. There's a couple I'm not too sure about, <laughs> but yeah, I think most, well, most that's the cool
2: thing. Are, that That's the yeah. cool thing is I, I think war should transcend all divides, you know, uh, no matter how, you know, I, I there's differences in the left, for example, about Absolutely, COVID issues, all that stuff. And, but we have to get over these differences because 100% war. Agree. You know, War doesn't yep. um, spare yes.
9: anybody. Anyway, you, know? you got you guys are you you're doing a great job. I love I love your show, Katie. I love your your show, Aaron, you know, all all of them. If only there were more hours in the day.
2: Mm. Um, well thank you, Betsy. We really appreciate yeah. that. Thank you. Okay, we're gonna take one last caller from Bradford. Go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Hi there.
6: Aaron, just wanted to uh, thank you uh, for recommending the article that you wrote on the, that kind of followed the timeline of the Ukraine. Uh, I was able to get that to a couple of people who hadn't really got that side of the information, and I, I so I appreciate uh, appreciate you a you writing that and then recommending it.
2: I'm always happy to recommend my own work. Uh, you you know hey anytime. <laughs> yeah,
6: <I'm sure. laughs> um, So one one I guess what I want to talk about was or ask a question is. With the uh, war in Ukraine, and, and as we've kind of been seeing the, the, Democrats and the Republicans are pretty lockstep and the only thing that they can agree about is spending defense money. And, um, that's generally, we could assume coming from the, the, the amount that they get in uh, contribution from these parties. So, um, uh, if, if you were to, uh, and I'd love to hear from both of you on um, what you think is the best way to go about getting money out of politics um, in general, but in more uh, from corporations and from large donors. So if, if, if you guys would, would just you know talk about that. Thank you.
2: I, uh, you know, I think repealing Citizens United would be a good start. And uh, I mean, how do you do it? I mean, how do you put pressure on politicians who are the ones, you know, voluntarily and eagerly being bought off all the time? It's, it's hard. I mean, it, there's no way to do it unless you have mass public pressure. And that's that's hard. So um, I think, you know, organizing like any other issue. Uh, and uh, I'm sure there's more clever, sophisticated ways to do it. I, it's not my it's not an issue. I I know, I know too much about. So, but yeah, I think if there if, um, Citizens United is a serious problem when it comes to that issue, uh, just allowing unfettered money into politics and treating it as if it's like free speech, which is just such a joke. But yeah. Um, you know, I, I think I, I do believe in democracy. So with like, I think popular pressure, I think, I think anything could happen.
6: Yeah. It's almost, it seems like the, the best way to do it is to, to find the best way to shame them into action. Yeah.
2: Shame works. Shame definitely works. Um, in my yeah, experience, politics. shame <laughs> definitely works. Yes. Especially <laughs> with liberals, especially with liberals, because you're calling them out for, you know, policies that are a betrayal of what they claim to stand for, you know? So that, 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 that works. Shame, I think is harder to work with Republicans because they're not ashamed of what they're doing. You know, they're, they're proud to be whatever taking money okay. from evil corporations, whereas Democrats have to pretend as if they're 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 against stuff like that. So I think you know shame you know shame is great. Go shame. All right, Bradford, thank you for the call. Go no shame. Thank you for the call,
0: Leave on.
2: And thanks to everyone for tuning in. And remember to go to com for bonus content. And Katie, uh, you have a special. Episode of the Katie Helper Show coming up I, this week.
0: Yeah, I do. I'll be having on Gabor Mate, seven p.m. He joins. Uh, well, the show starts at seven. He comes on at seven thirty. He and Daniel, okay.
2: uh, uh Eastern time on Eastern Tuesday. Time.
0: Authors of the Myth of Normal.
2: Yes, and that's on Tuesday.
0: Tuesday night, yeah, seven p.m. EST.
2: Very cool. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for joining. Father of Aaron. Yes. Us. <laughs> <laughs> we'll yeah. see you next time, everybody.